Rock and roll. Kia ora, everybody. What's up? It is Rebet. Uh, I've finally done it. I've got a politician on the show. I did. I've by design never done it, and I finally had a point. The budget came out yesterday. Everyone's going nuts. I got randomly hit up uh, yesterday from someone in the mix, and now we're here with the leader of um, the top, top party, uh, Jeff Simmons. How are you, mate? Kia ora, Rebet. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Great. Glad to pop your cherry. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> that's one way to bloody start it. So... Um, and, and before I, and I will give context, I was just quickly saying before, so, you know, uh, my whanau is from Ngāti East Coast, Gisborne, so I grew up on, on within, I guess, Māori based and culture, so people would think I would be with Māori Party, then I grew up in Aranui Christchurch, we were on the sickness benefits, so people would then think I was labour, then I got into professional snowboard world, and then people would think I was uh, green in environment, then I got into business, and people would think I'd be national, but I have yet to tell anyone where exactly I sit, but what I will say is I am friends with a lot of people on all sides, so if we're going to do it, I'm happy to play in the middle, and let's flip and get it up and go. Mr. Jeff, um, budget came out yesterday. Is it shit yeah. or is it awesome? Oh, it's not. It, it's, it's neither. It's somewhere in between. I mean, I think uh, the you know what they've done is they have um, they have stopped the bleeding, if you like. Uh, you know, they they they're making sure that the patient is on ice and is is making it through, but there really isn't any sense of how the, the patient is going to get better and uh, even get better than they were before. Uh, you know, if COVID-19 was was the illness, the, the lockdown was the illness, how are we going to get back stronger than we were before? So it's kind of stemming the bleeding, but nothing hugely visionary. Because I put a, um, a message up on my um, socials yesterday and I was like, hey, um, I'm a bit of a rookie to this political shit. Who's the winners and losers? And don't give me any emotional rants because my my message my message changes go flipping. People get so just like I get it the emotion, but just give me non-emotive data so I can just look at it. And yeah. you got tagged in it, and then you said uh, winners in order: hospitals, not GPs, just hospitals. People in the state house. Uh, waiting list, apprentices and trade training, defense, rail, early childhood education, tourism industry, racing industry, the losers, pretty much everyone else, no helicopter money or benefit increase, government have kept $20 billion back in a slush fund though, so it could be more coming. So I think where people, were, when I was looking at it, everyone was kind of getting pretty hyped on the events and the tourism piece. I guess is the reason why they haven't gone as heavy in that is just because they know there's not going to be a lot of international movement for the last while. Like a lot of people are talking about small business have got nothing and tourism yeah. and, and events have got nothing. So stuff you, right? That's I'm just reading through a whole bunch of it. Everyone's this whole SME thing seems like it's a bit of an issue. Um, where do you sit with the whole tourism events and, and SME side? Because obviously a lot of the feedback that everyone was getting pretty hyped on was, was in that space. What's the go there? Yeah, well, I think uh, SME stuff was really disappointing. Uh, you know, when the racing industry gets more than SMEs, it's it's a pretty sad day for for the country. Yeah, uh, so, so just jump in there because a bunch of people were getting venty about that. So what's what's the deal? Because it was something about the ratio of the amount that it brings into the amount that they actually got. So is that just to, to try and get gaming back going again? Or what was kind of the thinking behind that? Because a lot of people well, were pretty fired. Yeah, it's just been it's been poorly managed to be honest, and so uh, they have had to give it give racing some money just to keep it going. Um, and don't get me wrong, I've got nothing against racing, I've got nothing against betting, but that industry has plenty of assets that they could use, and that's what most industries do in bad times. They they sell off the assets that they don't need. R racing hasn't had to do that. They've got bailed out so so you know i understand they're going through hard times but so is so is everyone so you know what that what that piece is really about is it's winston looking after his mates frankly uh you know <laughs> that's what it that's what it comes down to so who's, um, I, I love this shit it's always because i give i get, always get back channeled from all these different lanes of like oh what's the stuff so the play on that is when he's looking after his mates, well, he's got boys in, in that side and then that's it. But then it pops up and all of a sudden they get more money and then all of a sudden it looks a bit not fair to the Smiths because one of the crew that I was looking on here was basically goes, 500,000 small businesses, you know, 97% of all businesses. Yeah, they got jack. <laughs> and yeah. it's kind of yeah. like, holy shit, that's pretty gnarly, man. It doesn't yeah. seem that cool. Yeah, and, and that is that is the, the big disappointment here. 
like I said, how are we going to rebound from this stronger? How are we going to work smarter as a country? And SMEs are a massive, a massive part of that. So absolutely agree with you there. Um, when you look at the political landscape right now, so when, so what date is the election? Is that a, is that come out September yet? September 19th. September 9th, okay. So that goes to voting for gold. And you were just saying before the structure of how the top party setup is, is now, I guess, owned by the members. In a nutshell, for those yeah. who don't know, how does that work differently to other parties? What's the the the, the 101 of, of, of what that looks like in the real world? Well, uh, most parties rely on donations from, uh, you know, big money. And that's, you know, that's... The, the National Party uh, to a to a large extent, uh, the the Labour Party certain certainly New Zealand First, um, you know that, that's what all of the uh, scandal is about at the moment with New Zealand First getting taken to um, the basically getting taken to court uh, over sort of being secretive about their their donors. What we do know is that some of their donors were in the racing industry, so you know that kind of plays back into that conversation before. So TOP really is a, is a member-led movement. Um, the average donation, so we don't get any public funding because we're not in parliament. All of those parties that you hear about uh, in parliament get money from the public purse to, to, to pay for their, their staff and stuff. Um, but we survive entirely on donations. The average donation to the TOP party is about 25 bucks. So it just gives you an idea of the kind of grassroots movement that we are. How does it? Um, so let's go there for a second. So, so to get in this in this next um, phase, how do you how do you fund a campaign? How do you fund an entire business without being funded? Just, just is it just donations? Like, what's the business model of a party? Yeah, it's 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 donations, and you know this is one of the the big problems in New Zealand politics is that uh, you know political parties have stopped being funded by their members. Uh, their you know, membership has been dropping over the past 20 years, 30 years. And increasingly, political parties have gone to big business for funding instead. So the, the business model really has shifted. And what we're trying to bring back is that kind of old school model of, uh, you know, membership, everyone chipping in a little bit and, um, and, and people chipping in time too, you know, I mean, we we couldn't run without our network of volunteers. We have an, an amazing group of volunteers who do most of the work that you know normally you'd have to pay for. Got it. So when you look at the political landscape right now, um, doing a bit of digging up since I came through, you came from the uh, you're an economist. Is that is that right? The, the, so you're yeah. basically a financial brain. So I understand that sort of side of things. When you look at the um, COVID's decimated a bunch of industries. Everyone started yeah. at zero. It's restarting back up like the world's never seen before. It's trying to go from zero back up. New Zealand obviously now has, I guess, a, I would rather New Zealand be bitching about money than bitching about mass deaths, right? Like net, yeah. net, net. That's yeah. where that's where I kind of sit. But then when yeah. I look, but then within New Zealand now, from a commercial standpoint in terms of the economy, what's the biggest challenge right now you see for the New Zealand economy today? Well, I think. You know, you've you've nailed it. It really is around that that tourism piece. Uh, that's going to be the the part of the economy that is decimated most. We're assuming here that we don't go into another lockdown. You know, if we go into another lockdown, then there, there will be real carnage. Um, but but because you know the government's handled the crisis all in all pretty well, um, we weren't as prepared as we should have been. But given how prepared we were, the government responded quickly, and internationally we're now in a pretty good position. So the yeah the the big issue that we face really is around that that tourism and hospo piece, as you were talking about. Uh, that's the the sector of the economy that. Is going to get decimated. The the that has been decimated and will continue to face challenges. The good news is that actually domestic tourism makes up sixty percent of the sector. And if everyone in New Zealand spent as much money on tourism in the country as they normally spend overseas, then tourism would be okay. So mm. it really is about giving people the confidence to get out there 
and spend money to enjoy their own country. I don't know if you remember that ad campaign from the from the eighties. You're probably too young to remember that. Uh, <laughs> but there was this. Oh, yeah. I heard about a, it. I, th- I yeah. heard about it. Don't leave town till you've seen the country. And yeah. pretty pretty crack up uh, Kiwi ads. Search, just search for it on YouTube. They're they're pretty hilarious. So that that's really the challenge that we've got over the next wee while. And that's why we were calling for some sort of universal basic income, some sort of payment to everyone, even a temporary emergency payment to everyone of a thousand or a thousand five hundred bucks like they've done in Australia and Hong Kong, places like that. Give everyone some money. The people that really need it to pay their rent, to to put food on the table, to put shoes on their kids' feet, they'll spend it on that. That's cool. Anyone who doesn't need it, say, hey, go to Queenstown, go to the East Coast. I'm actually planning a trip to the East Coast to, to your Tūranga Wawai. And, uh, you know, and that's what we've all got to do. You know, we've got to get out there and enjoy our own country. Um, Universal Basic Income, you, you jump, jumped on there. Um, has anyone rolled this out at scale yet and, and been a success? And is the reason why it hasn't popped has been, has been what? It has been rolled out in scale in developing countries. So we have seen it, uh, you know, done wholesale in developing countries. How'd it, it work? How'd it go? Oh, it, it's it's fantastic. I mean, the, the, the results are immense. It gives people that basic level of security to know that they can train, to know that they can start a business, to know that they can, you know, take some risks, basically. Uh, it also honors that unpaid labor upon which our economy is built, you know, that foundation of our economy and society, all of those carers, uh, all of those people staying at home raising kids, that sort of stuff, uh, all the people who are volunteering. So it has, it has been child at scale in those, in those developing countries. It vastly improves mental health. People are more likely to work and, and start businesses and all that sort of stuff. And the people that aren't, uh, that, that are less likely to work or start businesses, they're, either, they're usually either looking after kids or they're tra- retraining themselves. And as we develop into a, uh, as we get into this gig economy, which you'll know all about, you know, yep. increased automation, all of that sort of stuff, people are moving in and out of jobs, in and out of careers really rapidly. I think this universal basic income will be the welfare system of the future. Oh, big, big calls. Because I know, um, you know, when I, when I was younger, we were on the, the benefit for sickness benefit and stuff for a bit. And, and the classic would always be, you know, oh, these dull bludgers, blah, blah, blah. The, I'm imagining the, 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 have you got someone saying what's up there? I can talk shit for a second I, if you want. Go, I, yeah, I, go, I someone at the go, go, go kick him out. Say, Yo, oh, no, yeah, no, you're right. Do you think? I was going to, I'll go rant for a bit. All right. Um, universal basic income. Pretty intrigued about that. Um, I have, I have not seen it. Um, the actual uptake on it when people really talk about it, what I was going to, going to say, oh, there he is. He's already back. Oh, that was quick. What was that? Someone, little, little, Someone wanting to turn the water off for 10 minutes. Fine. I, I don't need water. I've got a drink. Yeah, done. No, I was going to say, because people would say, you know, it's around uh, dull bludging, the other people that would potentially look at it, would they be saying the reason not to is like, well, why would you incentivize and actually pay people to do nothing? Stuff that, get off your ass, go get it, go do your own thing, go create your own thing, go earn it for yourself. Um, has No one, doesn't seem in New Zealand politics, no one's really pushed this issue, this before it actually really brought up sort of really really loudly um where do you think that would sit on the other side if you know they've been called doll bludgers before potentially how what the mindset shift how do you think about that yeah yeah well two two things about that firstly the big advantage of a ubi universal basic income is because you're giving the money to everyone people don't lose it when they start working so as you'll have known uh from your from experiences with the with the benefit system there's this really difficult period when you're trying to get work on a benefit and then you lose your benefit and actually some people for a while depending on how much work you can get how many hours you can get you're actually no better off working than you are on the benefit so that 
that is a really big issue that the UBI removes. And the real the real winners out of a from a UBI are kind of that that uh, you know the, the the people that are on minimum wage. You know, someone on based on our plan, someone on the minimum wage would be about six grand a year better off. So that would take them over the living wage, if you like. Um, so that's that's the first point. It gets rid of that disincentive to work. The second point is is really it's around psychology because, like I said, UBI has been trialed overseas. It's been it's been trialed big big scale in developing countries. It's been tried small scale in developed countries, and we know that people are no like no no less likely to work. If anything, they're more likely to work. Um, but the but people just assume that other people are lazy. When you ask people, what would you do with a UBI? They all say, oh, I would start a creative project or I'd spend more time with my kids or I'd start a business. Or, you know, they come up with really cool answers. Everyone's got a cool answer for what they would do. But when you ask them what other people do, they think, oh, they'd probably play Xbox and go surfing. Um, so we all think that, uh, that, that we would use it well, but other people are lazy. It's a basic lack of trust. Got it. The the, the headspace shift. Now, has anyone in use any politicians tried to push for this yet, or would you be kind of the first to really jump in on to put, try and push UBI? I mean, the Labor Party and the Green Party have both talked about a UBI, but they haven't come up with an actual plan. They've kind of just floated the idea. And so we are the, the first to, to release an actual plan of how it could be done, uh, which, we, which we did a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, we, we're, the, uh, we're the pioneers there. It's cool to, cool to be first. Um, so you, you're economists, you understand the money stuff. If you were um, Jacinda and you wanted to, how would you have done the budget differently with $50 billion to help small businesses, which are 97% of New Zealand businesses? What would you have done differently? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a massive area, and I have to confess, I'm working on a, a, a small business policy at the moment. Um, but one thing that I think is is really missing, and the government has done a little bit on this, but there's so much more that that could be done. Um, we what we could do is set up a digital support ecosystem for mm. for small business. So if you imagine, you know zero, right? Are you on zero, yep, or, zero. or the other one, the the foreign one? Um, so you imagine. So, it's so called MYOB, but yes, yeah, I know, I know. I just didn't, I didn't want to advertise a foreign one. That's all. Um, no, I got homies too. It's fine. Go for it. So imagine you're on zero and. So this, this thing has all of the information about your business. It knows about your business. Imagine if this was, with your permission, hooked up to government support networks and it said, oh, look, I noticed you've just hired someone. Have you, did you know about this health and safety stuff? A video pops up, you can learn about health and safety, you, can, you know, all that, all that sort of stuff. Um, help to, to help f uh, file your, your tax returns, all that sort of stuff could be automated into the system um, with your permission to really help you grow your business. Uh, the, the really big issue in New Zealand is management skill, you know, and what, that's what, what that, we need. What, what does that mean? Like the, the ops of the strategy for within businesses itself, not just the ops? Yeah, uh, a lot of small business owners have a really cool idea. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they have a cool idea of something to deliver. And that's why so many New Zealand businesses are so innovative. And the ones that do well really, you know, take off and doing really niche things across the world. But the issue that a lot of people have is the actual business skills, how to market, how to do the accounts, how to plan the financials, how to get the money that's that's needed. Um, and, you know, getting more money into business is one of the major focuses of the Opportunities Party because as a country, we focus way too much on investing in housing and not enough on investing in business. So that is, that's another big thing that, that we would focus on. Yeah, nice. Um, Matt Hegan asks, what does 
does Jeff think about an empty homes tax? So what, what's what's that about? Yeah, so an empty homes tax. Uh, the, so the idea is that, of course, you know, we have homelessness and we have about, um, say, in Auckland, we know that about 8% of homes are empty. Um, really? We, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, I mean, there's one right next door to my parents' place in Westmere, and it's just quite clearly being land banked to be developed. You know, they're, they're, they're just waiting till the right time to, to, to stick up some medium density housing. Um, it's waiting until the land price gets juicy enough. Yeah, because uh, that's where the, that's where the real money is, right? So, um, so an empty homes tax. The the totally agree with what um, you what you're trying to achieve there. The difficult thing is is designing it. Uh, it has been uh, trialed in some countries to to sort of varying uh, degrees of of success. Our tax policy would. Would very would pretty much act as an empty homes um, uh, tax because it would really sting people that are leaving uh, bare land or or you know an empty house. Those would be the ones that would be really stung uh, by our you know by our tax policy. Um, so to agree with what you're trying to achieve. The the design you know the devil's in the detail on that stuff. It's pretty tricky. I mean. If you're trying to start a flipping party, you've got to think of absolutely everything. And one of the things I've been really um, kind of blown away with is, say with COVID, the butter, the 360 butterfly effect it's have on every single touch point, every single person's life, everywhere. Every different industry, vertical, personal, professional, flipping everywhere. And then the trickle-on effects of how it's sort of done it. And when it comes to something like, a, you know, um, so politics, you know, the, the, the classic is, you know, um, uh, you know, national with business and labour for the for the for the people and community, like commerce versus community, whatever. Um, but with this exactly for yourself, it must be quite tricky to try and run a be a leader of a party to have a three six to pre plan a three sixty approach to every single touch point and every single thing. Because, man, it's how do you how how do you do it? <laughs> how do you mentally how do you think about your thinking for taking a 360 approach for every touch point for every New Zealander. How do you approach your leadership with that? It, it's even more difficult than that because what the Opportunities Party or TOPS trying to achieve is to put forward a platform that's based on what actually works, not rather than trying to appeal to a particular ideology. You know, sometimes we agree with Labour, sometimes we agree with National uh, because it, it all depends what what actually works on the ground uh, so yeah it, it, it is difficult and there are some things you have to say look we just you know we're just not going to touch so for example we haven't got a foreign uh, policy or or a, or a defense policy um, so you know there's some areas that we've just had to say look we haven't got time to to put resources into that um, but generally I'd say the, the hard part is is really working out what you what you stand for and I think most Kiwis stand for for fairness for equality of opportunity they they believe that we live in a country where everyone who works hard can can get ahead and uh, you know sadly that isn't the situation right now you know there are uh, a lot of people who have it much harder than than others, and that's particularly the case for for, for younger generations, particularly around the, the cost of housing and uh, you know some of the um, uh, massive issues we face with the environment going forward as well. So what we are what we are trying to do is is offer um, is, is, is say to people. We stand for equality of opportunity. We stand for a fair go. We know that's what the other politicians say as well. But from our perspective, for younger generations and future generations to actually get a fair go, we need real change. We need fundamental change to actually achieve that. Uh, so, you know, that carving out that niche is mm. isn't easy, though. Yeah, I totally agree. When um. You look at the political landscape in New Zealand right now. Do do you think the playing the political playground is fair? 
the political playground is fair. <laughs> I mean, I think like for you, you're obviously an underdog, right? Like you, you, yeah. you you're scrapping. You you find you've got to like you know duck and weave your David vs Goliath shit. Like, do you do you feel that it's do you feel it's fair? Uh, well, two two things I'd say in response to that. Firstly, is the is the five um, percent threshold to get into parliament? I mean, that is basically one hundred and fifty thousand votes. So, top got about half of that in the last election, and you know that was with a millionaire backing us. So, it is a massive challenge to get over that five percent threshold. So, I would say that is. That's a, a big barrier that that probably needs to be looked at. And the other area is what I was talking about before is political finance. The parties in parliament do get money from the public purse, which you know is absolutely fair enough. But then there's all this kind of murky, dodgy dealings around donations to political parties, and that really needs to be sorted out so that people know what they're voting for because. You know, if you if you voted for New Zealand First at the last election, did you know that you were voting for the racing industry? Um, it's a you know, it, it it's not very transparent. Well, um, what, what I've realised, and I'm only I'm only 35 now, but um, there's always what the public sees. There's what's happening behind the scenes. There's the people that are making those plays, and then the people that know what's up. And there's always four layers of gnarly shit. And so every, you're just scrapping down there. And it's and a friend of mine describes it to me. He goes, mate, stop squabbling over the fish and chip shit. There's flipping big. There's, and, and it's just been really interesting watching the level of thinking with how these things move in the, in the levers and stuff. And it's, yeah. I mean, full full credit to politicians to be able to like navigate that. I mean, I'm a massive fan of chess, but I just kind of, I, I, I don't know if I could deal with all of that uh, uh, emotional, strategic, like, the way they do it, it just oh man it just it's so gnarly to me like it just feels it's pretty crazy so obviously i'm a moan thing but i will say what i when i had a good bro um do you know rob campbell he's um yes yeah so rob so he's a g and he i was talking to him about it and he described it as a playground and he mm. goes the big the biggest disappointing thing about it is it's more like a seesaw instead of a slide and yeah. he was basically saying, you know three years this way three years that way three years, and in terms of progress yeah. for people you'd think it go there because all that happens everyone it's a similar thing to you know a new ceo comes in after eight years and the first thing he's going to do yeah. is change everything he's got to make a statement so that kind of goes along too but at the end of the day it comes into sort of core key things that you're about right so do you have does everyone know where everyone stands on you know like abortion uh, marijuana euthanasia death penalty any of this other stuff does everyone know where everyone sits is that like a public thing like how, how does that how does that play well, out what, what's the deal there yeah, some of those issues are conscience issues. So, uh, so in fact, a lot of the ones you just mentioned are, are conscience issues. So, you know, top favors legalizing cannabis uh, because oh, okay. it, it's it's worked overseas. You know, you don't have to look look taxes, far to see. Yeah. yeah, it raises taxes and it reduces harm. You know, depending on how you how you manage it. But most countries have managed to reduce youth use. Which is what everyone's worried about. What do the gangs um, go to then, though? After, because that's always the comeback, right? And that's the same one of you know the bros on the east coast and the flipping to pooky hardcore boys. They're going to go swap to something else. Is that the danger? Or is that kind of like a mythical thing that you think? Well, if you if you do it right, which I think this is one area that the government has got right in its proposal, uh, what you do is you encourage people. You you encourage the people who used to grow uh, cannabis. You know, on the black market, you encourage them into the, you know, the market economy. You you help them develop businesses uh, and well, use the their gangs? skills in that the, way. What, what well, the, I mean, the, the the gangs the gangs are kind of the 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 in between, aren't they? Um, you know, if but if you can if you can take the the growers out of the equation, you know, at least you can provide them with with real legal jobs. Um, I mean, so full weed. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, from talking to a lot of um, people in, in communities, for example, here in, in Wellington, there's, there's Porirua, um, a lot of people go to, you know, go to dealers looking for green and they come back with white, you know. Uh, and so that's another the major upsell, reason. Mate. It's the upsell. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and that's, that is something that, that legalizing marijuana would, would you know, 
reduce. So I think uh, you know that that's got to be that's got to help combat the gangs. What about um, the other one? Now, is it still coming up the euthanasia stuff? Where do you sit on that? Oh, well, that's a that's a conscience issue for 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 most people. For me, what, that, what does that mean? Conscience issue. Conscience issue it means that MPs can vote however they like. There's not usually oh, cool. party lines. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so there's, cool. a, there's a few issues like that, and and yeah, they tend to be the more useful conversations that happen in Parliament. You don't get that kind of, um, as you say, the the my crew's doing this. Your crew, yeah, it's like geez. yeah, exactly, exactly. And and like I totally agree with you. That is really what's holding politics back it's that whole uh, red versus blue left versus right camp kind of carry on uh, and you know that just doesn't exist in Europe we need to grow up and move past that but uh, on on voluntary euthanasia um, what well, it's called it's actually technically voluntary assisted dying because if you're already dying you can choose to die faster um, I, I personally support that. You know, I've had a couple. I've lost a couple of uh, grandparents um, to, to cancer, and that was they were both pretty gnarly experiences. And I don't know what choice they would have made if they'd had the choice, but it would have been good if they'd had the choice. Yeah, your your body, your your rules, your life, and I, yeah, I, I I can definitely understand it. Um, when I went to Singularity University and they were talking about um, space politics, as you do at Singularity. And what was really interesting is that the way they framed the session, they says, hey, look, you know, we agree that humanity is going to go to these other planets. Great. But when we do, what rules do we take with us? And we have, if we have a, a blank whiteboard to reframe and reimagine what politics should be, and we've got, you know, hundreds of countries all going to jump in a rocket ship. We're going to go piss off onto this thing. How would you redesign it differently? And it just made your brain think differently because you don't need to think about right or left or this or that and whatever. If you were to think about, because then the, where it kind of got to was, oh, well, if this is what we're going to take as an equal thing for humanity across, why would we not test that here and actually do it for ourselves? Why are we still so fragmentedly aligned with the way we do things? It was kind of like a, you know, one of those mind trip flipping IQ Harvard bastard people. And... It was, but it was amazing, right? Because I got you to think, well, wait a second, how and why? So, if you were to redesign, say, politics, say for New Zealand, you can you can control this with a, you know enough power and influence and and whatever. How would you redesign politics in New Zealand that you feel would make it fairer for that could potentially work for the world? Look, the big thing for me is devolution, uh, is is localism, you know, is giving more power to communities. Um, I, a, a couple of years ago, I went to South America and I, and I found out there that the, the Inca empire was built on communities of 200 people. Every 200 people had a, had a chief and then every 200 chiefs had another chief of the chief. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. it was, it was, it was built in layers of 200 and I can, I can really see that, you know, communities work when you can, when you can know everyone and there is something about that number of 150 to 200 people that you really can know people and and work things out. I and the reason that we have nations and and nation states and um, uh, and everything is so centralised is because. Uh, because of economies of scale, you know, because um, same reason we have big businesses, but technology is disrupting all that. You know, it, it's now possible to run things efficiently, to have smooth administration with with really good IT systems, and to be able to that then allows us to give a lot more power to communities. So. And, and this is rangatiratanga, man. You know, this is this is what the treaty promised: was that we was that this was would be the way that we run our country. So I see an enormous opportunity there to give more power to local communities, to iwi, to hapu, but also to whatever community you want to belong to. You know, if if you really identify with your local rugby club. Rugby club, kapai. You know, if you want that to to manage <laughs> every aspect of your life, uh, that's totally fine. I mean, not every aspect, but I mean, giving more yeah. power to those to those local uh, you know bodies to be able to so that people can design 
the services in a way that suits them, you know, suits their culture, suits yeah. their area, all that sort of stuff. Um, so so I, I think there's the, the big, Inca things. Yeah, no, the, the Inca thing was interesting, right? So the um, I was reading about the, the founder of Gore-Tex. He built a thing where every time he'd build a factory that could house 150 people and then he'd build another one instead of building a bigger one for 300. Because yeah. in his head, he felt that as soon as it got over the number of 150 staff in a building, they would yeah. see each other as numbers and not people. And when they yeah. saw each other as pe uh, numbers, not people, they wouldn't have care to do the thing to help the commerce. Yeah. So this, I mean, I, I, I can understand that. Um, we've got some questions. Uh, Chris Merlini says, uh, what does Jeff, Jeff think of the of creating a government business startup fund to help the many Kiwis who will be left unemployed and fearful of being wholly reliant on an employer-employee arrangement in a hugely uncertain economic climate delivered by private sector incubators or similar entity? Or banks giving $10,000 free overdraft with zero interest, but whatever. Yep, go for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, good idea, Chris. I mean... This is exactly why we support a universal basic income because it is it, it allows people to you know start businesses. It, it really provides people with that basic level of uh, you know income so that they can crack on and, and, and do that sort of thing. Uh, but your idea is another way of doing it. Uh, you know, love it. It's a, that, that's exactly the sort of stuff that we need to be encouraging. Um. Mm, it's a. I'm just trying to think who's the heroes in this because it's clearly not usually the billionaires and the CEOs, right? It's 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 not from the top down. It needs to be from the bottom up, right? Because if there's Absolutely. no engagement from the top to the bottom, if they don't have jobs, that they, they're not going to save them going that way. Um, so who do you think will save the day for this this thing commercially and economically for New Zealand? If you fast forward in two years, 2022. We're looking at the front page of whatever amalgamated, consolidated, commerce commissionally cleared media company's website we're looking at is the is the saviour. Who do you think it will be? Oh, look, I if I'm in an optimistic mood, I think it will be people shopping local, getting becoming more local. You know, I think I, wouldn't it be fantastic to see, uh, like Chris is suggesting, more little owner-operated businesses setting up, servicing the local community, butchers, greengrocers. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've personally got sick of going to, <laughs> to the supermarket during this lockdown period because that was the only choice that, I, uh, that, that we had. And I'm very much now coming out of that, I'm looking to diversify where I buy things from and find... Uh, new places to go to get my to get my bread to get my meat to to get my groceries all that sort of stuff so i think that is a a, a major way that we could um you know help each other going forward um and on a on a much bigger scale um i think how the government buys needs to change as well because um, at the moment, you know, when the government procures something, it tends to favour really big businesses. But what if we could have a, you know, government procurement office that worked with a whole bunch of small businesses to do what a big business would normally do, for example? Was well, it that, that social procurement stuff that I've been hearing rumblings around with certain, there's a few a few bigger fish in town are talking about doing mandatory uh, social procurement percentages for either Māori or Pacific-owned businesses and blah, 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 all the rest of it. So you think a, a bigger nationalised version of that some type? Yeah, absolutely. And um, great great to focus on, you know, Māori and Pacific businesses, local businesses. But what what they need is help to to work together to deliver what a big business normally does. Um, because that's that, that's why government uh, tends to go for big businesses because it's just easier. It's a one-stop shop. They can get everything that they that they need. Um, so actually helping those you know consortium to, to, to come together, or or if you are going to go with a big organisation, mandating that they subcontract a lot of stuff to to smaller organisations as well is. It's a good way forward. 
I get it. Uh, the bro Keith, uh, have you considered a luxury tax rather than annual asset tax? A luxury tax. I mean, well, it's I have a... no idea what that means. What does that mean? You get, you get an extra what 50, 50 bucks on your Louis V bag, or what's the deal? Yeah, I mean, I I assume he's talking about some sort of um, way of supercharging GST for certain items that are that are dubbed uh, a luxury. I mean, we'd have to have a pretty big conversation about uh, about what's deemed a luxury and and, and what isn't. You know, um, I'm sure what what some people would consider a luxury others would consider an, a necessity and it would it would it probably take a long time to work through um, okay, saying, so purchases over x amount x being defined by a percentage above the average price in the market okay got it right right okay oh like the uh, like the um like like sports um nfl there you go keith just start with nfl and it would have been easier there you go go for it is that how nfl works if you're you, you get you have to pay to luxury taxes on certain players and stuff if you head over the limits and it's kind of like a fine for getting like an extra dope player on a big contract right right yeah i mean personally i think uh the the way forward here is is some sort of uh property tax wealth tax you know um because we know that the the richest new zealanders and I, i'm not talking in terms of income i'm talking in terms of assets the richest New Zealanders, about half of them pay about as much tax as your average teacher or nurse. Um, so there are, there are big holes in our tax system and, and the way to, to, to plug that is around, um, you know, is, is, is around some sort of property or asset tax. Um, but, you know, uh, who knows? Uh, I haven't really considered a luxury asset tax before. I'd have to think more about it. Got it. Um, the uh, if you got into, so has the top party been into parliament yet or not? Do you send the last one no. got to first? So this this one will be potentially the one you can get you can get a, a, a first seat. That's right. Yeah. So twenty seventeen was our first election, and this is our this is our second. So yeah. Now, if you were to get in, how does it work? Um, you'd obviously be number one. You got potentially crew that roll after you, yada yada yada, which I, I imagine that would happen. Um, do you let it publicly? Have you let it be publicly known so far who you would potentially partner with? Because I know you know sometimes these kingmakers with these kind of last little yeah. seats and stuff. How does that work? Do you play? Do you play the lane of what you stand for, and then you negotiate those things after, or do you do you kind of say, yeah. hey, if we got in, we're going to be red or blue? How how does that work for where the top party sits right now? Now we, uh, I mean, yeah, we set out what we stand for, which is, which is basically the, the UBI, um, bringing down the cost of housing and the environment. And, um, and we say that we will bargain for those things uh, with either national or labor. And I think we've seen from this government the, the power of being in that uh, kingmaker position, if you like, and being able mm -hmm. to bargain with both sides. You know, the, the Greens, said beforehand that they would go with Labour and they ha they bargained, you know, during during the, the government formation process, they got a $100 million green investment fund. Winston, on the other hand, with a similar number of votes as the Greens, got a $3 billion provincial growth oh, fund. So that's PG, 30 yeah. times the size of what the Greens got. So... It really shows the value of having that bargaining power and being willing to to work with either Labour or National. So you're saying in the whole country. So how many people vote in New Zealand? So how many? There's what five million people? How many million at the moment? There's five million people in the country. Of course, there's uh, probably a million or a million, yeah, just over a million of those Both. that can't vote because they're under eighteen. Um, and then there's a, another uh, chunk of people that don't vote, uh, you know, um, mostly young people, sadly. And this is why our entire society is, is geared towards, uh, you know, older generations, effectively, because younger generations don't bother voting. Uh, so politicians can safely ignore them, uh, which is it's the sad truth. Um, so yeah, of, of the people that can vote, about 70% um, of people do vote, but it's mostly the younger generations that don't. Yeah, um, 
it's just kind of interesting, right? You say a hundred thousand people, and I, you, I kind of think of it. I'm like, that doesn't feel like it's that. Like you've got flipping these social influences rolling around with flipping a couple of hundred thousand, you know, selling all sorts of bad shit for for whatever promo codes they're putting through, and then you think about something that could actually change the nation. It's like, oh, you know. I wonder what it would look like if you got a you know a collective of a bunch of these young buck influencers that were young to try and navigate between the 18 to 25 range you know like there's something in there man someone no one's really cracked that that you thing i know there's people that you know get their different lanes but their relatability part to it there's something something there um uh, last question before we go is kenny says um does jeff have a view on how his party could develop good quality community housing that is not tarred by stigma of being government funded but offers good quality housing and a long-term rent commitment similar to what we see in europe's socially developed companies there you go that seems like it's in your wheelhouse go for it absolutely and that is uh, a one of our major parts of our housing policy. New Zealand, like Europe, so Europe, as I think you're saying there, has lots of community housing organisations. So instead of having housing New Zealand, you have iwi housing, you have, um, you know, Pacifica housing, you have uh, different areas that provide housing to, 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 their, to their communities. Uh, lots of different ways of, of dicing that cake. And, but in New Zealand, we've never actively developed that community housing sector. We haven't, we haven't done much to, to really grow it. And that's really what uh, the Opportunities Party wants to do. Instead of putting all of the money into housing New Zealand, which the current government does, uh, and then instead of selling housing off like National does, um, we, we want to grow that community housing sector so that it is you know, you, you remove that stigma. You also put that put the um, organisation at arm's length from government, so that politicians can't fiddle with stuff because that's that's always a bad a bad look. And it puts that again going back to this localism idea. It puts the power in the hands of the local community. And we know from those European examples that those sorts of community housing organisations. They, they have a, pe- people feel, you know, prouder to live in those sorts of places because, the, because there isn't the stigma and because they're, you know, they're, they're a community, uh, you know, because they are a community organization, literally. Uh, so huge scope for that sort of approach here in New Zealand. And, but we, we just, successive governments really just haven't done anything to, to grow that community sector. Mm. Uh, Amber, last one. Why don't younger generations vote? I think, Amber, you know, from my conversations with with younger people, I think they don't vote because they don't think it makes any difference. And it comes back to that seesaw you were talking about. You know, people don't vote because it's red this time and it's blue this time and, and... over time it just cancels out and who cares and look i totally agree with that because you know that is certainly how it's been for the last 30 years but things can be different we've seen with the response to this you know this covid 19 situation we've seen that government can do radical things it can achieve extraordinary things if it puts its mind to it we can bring down the cost of housing if, if we put our mind to it and make it affordable again. Other countries have done it. We can do it too. But it will require younger generations to vote because at the moment, older generations have benefited from these really high rents and house prices. They've got no reason to change. Well, then what happens is the young bucks go to the old bucks and have been paying all those taxes for 20 years for someone else when they, if they would have just voted 20 years ago they could have got more shit for themselves exactly so young people are just dumb mate it's just you're just dumb it's just no i don't i don't i don't care dumb. they don't think that it, they don't think it matters I, and i disagree with that i don't, I don't oh, really think they don't, i don't think they don't care i just think they look at politics and think this uh, yeah, doesn't make it. any difference to their lives and I yes. totally understand no. that, but but people need to know it can make a difference. If if you if we do things differently, it can make difference. I I agree. Um, I really appreciate your time, man. This is cool. So if people want to um, check out more of your 
your stuff with what you're about and how does it work, feel free to do your shameless promo plug for September 19th for the for the um, top party. Go for gold. Kia ora, September 19th, vote, uh, you know, party vote top. And uh, you can check us out at top.org.nz. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn and, uh, and Instagram. See you there. It's pretty solid. You f- finish stronger. You'd be like, top for life, son. Boom. <laughs> um, love your work, Joe. Hey, thanks so much for your time. It's appreciated. Um, sorry for some of the dumb questions, but you know, I, I find no, I'm 35 and I don't know. And I think I don't. I, I'm. I don't know if I'm ashamed that I don't know as much as I do, but I, I just find it really intriguing how the dynamics of it all works. Because you're exactly right. It's not that people don't necessarily care about it, but they just like stuff it it doesn't really you know onto the next so i think in which it needs to change and um i, I put the nice promo pic of you with, with your pink pants rolled up drinking is that whiskey or beer because it looked like it was a bit aggressive to be whiskey what was that uh it was it was actually kombucha with whiskey oh. in it <laughs> oh okay well, that, that's awesome all right well next time in wellies mate we'll um c- catch up for a dram love your work mate hey really appreciate your time dude and um, best of luck for all of the rest of it with top Thanks, bro. Peace. The bro, Jeff, uh, Jeff Simmons, the leader of the top party, uh, the opportunities party. Oh, I didn't know if I'd go down the world of flipping politics. I've done it. I've got my first politician on. And um, we hadn't actually met before. And it's funny because now I kind of feel bad because I know a bunch of these other politicians who have wanted to break down. So I may open the floodgates and get and and start some of this political banter. A few interesting things. Universal basic income. If you haven't heard about it, check into that. The the housing stuff, definitely get it. But it's always tough, right? Because you're going to have to trying to look at a 360 view of everything. You're never going to get to flipping everyone happy, which is why I stay very, very far away from all of that stuff getting in the, in, in the mix with it. But I do think it is important because obviously um, it matters for New Zealand. The ninja move in this is super simple. The ninja move is one of the parties figuring out how to make, what carrot can you dangle for every single 18 to 25 year old that would not usually vote to vote? Every single uni student, what would what would it need to be? Um, if they could crack that, the numbers might swing crazily. But then the thing is, they, it can't just be some, you know, person they don't relate to. It needs to be someone that they can, I'm not saying it's necessary, look like them, talk like them, act like them. But if you look at the the American um, the American system with AOC, who's been roll, r- rolling up, she's getting a lot of hype from youth. And it's because then she's young too. So getting more youth in politics is cool. And we've obviously got some some rad weapons. Um, if other... Uh, if you have another politician, which you would like me to interview on the show, stuff it. Let's do it. I really appreciate all the heads up that um, and the insights and the, the comments that came through. Really insightful to see where everyone's headspace at and uh, appreciate the time. Shot team. See you all soon. Peace.